Well, good morning, Warehouse Church. And good morning to those of you that are worshiping with us online. We're so excited to have you uh, with us today. And we're continuing our conversation today uh, on prayer. And uh, so we've been talking about prayer over the past few weeks, and, 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 and uh, we want to continue that today. And I think, I think that we would all agree that there are people in our lives that have an occasional accident, but then there are people in our lives that are accident-prone, right? Like, there's a difference between the two. There's those that uh, occasionally fall or trip or every once in a while. It's not a regular thing. But then there are those people, those special people in our lives that are just accident prone. And, uh, and there was a research done, and according to Psychology Today, riveting read, by the way, uh, Psychology Today, it says that one in 29 people are accident prone. So there is a few of us in this room today that tend to be accident prone. And, uh, and my daughter, Emma, is one of those people. Um, she is just accident prone. Uh, I can remember we would be sitting at dinner and one minute she would be sitting perfectly fine in her chair and the next minute she would be on the floor. And I'd be like, what in the world? She, I don't know. I just fell out of my chair. I'm like, how do you fall out of your chair? Like, how does that happen? Or we'd be walking and all of a sudden Emma would be sprawled out on the concrete on the sidewalk or something. And she just is accident prone. She tends to always fall. And I, actually, I began to worry about her so much. I said, you know what? We got to do something about this. And I took her to the eye doctor when she was like five or six years old. And the doctor said, what can I, you know, why are you here? And I said, well, my daughter is always tripping and falling and I think she needs glasses. Like, I just think she needs glasses. And he's like, it's not glasses. Like, glasses are not going to help. She's just accident prone. And you might know some people in your life that are always tripping and falling and are just happen to be accident prone people. And so there are accidents, occasional accidents, and then there are accident prone people. But there's also this other type of accident that most of us in here will probably never experience. And uh, it's what I like to call in memory of Bob Ross, the happy painter. I like to call them happy accidents. And so there are these things called happy accidents, and they're real. It's a real thing. It's something that happens. And, and let me give you an example of this. Uh, um, one example is a pharmacist by the name of John, John Pemberton. And John was a scientist, and he was running some lab experiments trying to find the cure for headaches. And so he had this idea, this bright idea, that he would mix cocoa leaves with cola nuts. And then his assistant decided to add carbonated water to it, and then happy accident, Coca-Cola. And then there's other happy accidents that weren't purposely designed, but just happened by accident, like post-it notes, happy accident, Play-Doh, happy-ish accident, uh, uh, x-rays, microwave ovens, superglue, Teflon, Velcro, penicillin, and the slinky were all happy accidents. Something that wasn't created on purpose, but just happened by accident. And as I think about this, as it relates to prayer, I think a lot about um, how we treat prayers like happy accidents, that you and I, we tend to treat prayers like accidents, like we haphazardly throw up these words up in the air, hoping that something awesome or amazing will happen. And, and like when we get in a pinch, when there's something happens, a circumstance happens in our lives, and, and we throw up some words and we say something like, oh God, would you please, and then you fill in the blank, oh God, would you, would you please help me pass this test? Oh God, like I didn't study for it, but would you help me pass this test? Or oh God, would you, would you help me get past this time in my life? And we just throw up these words, crossing our fingers, hoping that God would come through in an incredible way, hoping for a happy accident. 
But as we read the Bible, and especially as we look at our passage today, we see that in prayer, there really are no happy accidents, that Jesus has given you and I a very clear way to pray. And, 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 and he's given us this model prayer called the Lord's Prayer for us to work through. And so Jesus gets, he gets that prayer is not some happy accident, but that it's a discipline uh, that is learned. And that when we pray, and I hope you hear this, that when we pray, there is restoration for the broken and there's transformation in our lives. That when you and I practice prayer, that transformation happens in our lives and, 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 and um, restoration happens in the lives of those who are broken. And so each week, each week we've been asking this question about prayer. And so the first week we asked, why do we pray? And we answered the question, why is it that we pray? And week two, we asked the question, who is it that we pray to? And we talked about how when Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, he said, when you pray, say, Father. That who do we pray to? We pray to the Father. And then and last week, we talked about the pattern of prayer. We said that the Lord's Prayer is a model prayer, that there's this pattern that Jesus is teaching the disciples, a pattern that if we will learn the pattern of prayer, our prayers will become powerful and effective. And so I gave you a tool called the ACTS method, A-C-T-S. And, and I encourage you that if you don't know how to pray, if you're learning how to pray, that this is a great tool to use. It's, it's using the word ACTS and remembering that ACTS is four words. It's adoration that we start our prayers with adoration to God in awe of who God is. We declare who God is in our prayers and we start with God, right? Prayer always starts with God. And then we talked about out of that, out of that time of sharing who God is, there is this time of confession. We realize that, man, there's some things in my life that don't line up with who God is and who God wants me to be. And so we spend time in confession and out of that confession comes a grateful heart and we spend time in thanksgiving saying, thank you, God. Like, not just thank you, Lord, for the food, not just thank you, Lord, uh, for my husband or my kids or my wife. It's not just that kind of thank you, but God, thank you for rescuing me. Like, thank you for salvation. Thank you for, uh, for working in my life. And so out of that adoration and confession comes a time of thanksgiving. And then, and only then do we get to our laundry list of things that we want to pray for. That, and, and here's what happens in our prayer when we practice the acts model of prayer is that when we begin with adoration, we move into confession and we get into thanksgiving, our prayer list changes from the time we began to the time that we get to our list. That what I'm finding is that when I spend time in adoration and confession and thanksgiving, I find that my prayer changes that the things that I want and desire change, even in that moment, even in those 20 minutes or 15 minutes or five minutes of prayer, what I started thinking, I'm going to pray to God for this, God transforms even my prayers. And I begin to pray for the things that God wants in my life and in the lives of people around me. So this model of prayer truly transforms our lives. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that some of you have taken and tried that this week. Like you, you're like, man, Pastor Rick, I, I struggle with prayer. I'm not very good at it. Well, that you've tried the acts. You've tried spending time with adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication. And hopefully you're seeing that it's transforming your prayer life. And so we talked about this pattern of prayer last week. And this morning we're going to talk about the practice of prayer. And, and, and the, the question I want to ask is a really important question. It's a question I think you need to answer. And it's the question is this, are you praying? 
Like, are you praying? Like, not just are you praying over your meal when you sit down and have a meal, not just are you praying before you take that test, or or not just uh, are you praying that your kids will be okay, but are you spending time praying? Do you wake up in the morning and spend time praying, or do you spend time in the middle of the afternoon praying, or do you spend time at the end of the day praying? Are you praying? You see, if we answer that question honestly, most of us that have been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, maybe, maybe you've been hanging out with Jesus for a couple months, or maybe you've been hanging out with Jesus for 30 years, many of us who would answer that question, we would say, yes, we know that we should pray, but we're not. Like, I just don't have time for it. Like, I got a busy schedule. I get up early. I stay up late. I don't have time. Work is overcoming, overwhelming. I got kids. I got family. And many of us would say, when we answer the question, are you praying? We would say, I know I should, but I'm, I'm not. And so my hope and prayer is that hopefully by asking the question and thinking through some of the things that happen when we pray, that my hope and prayer is that God will encourage you to take up the practice of prayer. That you will recognize today that, 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 that there's a lifeline between us and God, and that lifeline between us and God is prayer. And so if you have your Bibles, I just want to encourage you to open up with me to Matthew. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they're the Gospels. It's a, a, the, a Matthew's account of who Jesus is and what he did. And I want us to look at Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer because in Matthew's account, Jesus teaches the multitudes on the side of a mountain. There's a bunch of people in front of him, and he's giving his first public sermon, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. And he's teaching them some things about living the Christian life, and he teaches them how to pray. And and, and it's the Lord's Prayer. It's very similar to Luke's uh, gospel and what Luke says when he teaches the disciples how to pray. But I just want to read it with you, starting in verse 9 of Matthew 6. And Jesus is speaking, and he says this, this is then how you should pray. Jesus is like, you want to learn how to pray? This is how you should pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name, Lord. Father, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, verse 10. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You see, here's the thing that you need to know about prayer. And it's this, that prayer is a discipline. Prayer is a discipline that is learned and practiced. Like, I would just invite you to write that down if you're taking notes. Prayer is a discipline that is learned and practiced. And, and I, love to read, I love to read. Like, someone asked me this, this past week, what books are you reading? Uh, who do you read? And I'm like, I read tons of books from tons of different people. And, like, I've always got, like, four or five books going at once. Right now, I think I'm reading five books at once. And, and I love to read, but I love to read stories about men and women in history that God used in a mighty way. Like, I just love to, to hear face stories. I love to read stories of people throughout history, people that you know and that I know that God has used in a mighty way. And as I read these stories, I've discovered that one thing that all of these great men and women had in common was that they prayed, that they had an active and intentional prayer life, that they made it their business to pray, that they didn't start their day without prayer, that God used these amazing men and women in history, and they all spent time in prayer. 
Like, give, me so, give you some examples. Martin Luther. Martin Luther was known to pray two hours a day. Uh, John Wesley, uh, he prayed in a tiny closet in his home. He would climb into this tiny closet in his home from 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. every morning and pray. The Queen of England, who was known as Bloody Mary, she was like the gangster queen. And, and, and she said this, she said, I fear no man, I only fear the prayers of John Knox. John Knox was this guy that was known for prayer. And the queen said, I don't fear anything, but I fear the prayers of John Knox. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine like you being known as the prayer warrior and like someone walking up and saying, man, I don't fear anything in life, but I fear Jerrica Parsley's prayers. Like I'm just afraid of her prayer. Like she is praying right now. And so that's what Queen Mary said of John Knox and Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale, she often prayed that God would give her a task that would define her life. That she would wake up and she would pray and say, God, uh, Holy Father, she would say, would you just give me something in my life? Give me a task. Give me something to do in my life that would define who I am. And you see, these men and these women, they spent time intentionally going before the Father in prayer. And when I think about these and others like Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, uh, you know, I think about these and and others, uh, I get excited. Like I get excited about reading about these men and women of faith who had these deep and, and powerful prayer lives. But I also, if I'm honest with you, I get a little overwhelmed because I know that my name and John Wesley's name or my name and John Knox's name or my name and Mother Teresa's name will probably never be used in the same sentence unless I'm the one saying them. Like, I just know that. I know that, that it's a little daunting that when, um, that when their prayer lives don't look like my prayer life, when I begin to compare my prayer life to theirs and, and I think about 4 a.m. to 6 a.m., I'm like, I don't even know 4 a.m. exists except for if I have to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Like, that's the only time I'm up at 4 a.m. And and, and thinking about John Wesley getting up every morning at 4 a.m. to pray in this little closet in his room because he did, in his house, because he didn't want to be distracted. And so I can get a little overwhelmed. And maybe you connect with that. Maybe you can relate with that. Maybe you get a little overwhelmed when you start comparing your prayer life to others. And maybe you're like, man, I just quit. Like, I give up. Like, I'll never have a prayer life like that. I'll never be praying like that. And, 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 and I want to encourage you today. Because in one of my favorite books, because I like to read books, is uh, Celebration of Disciplines by Richard Foster. And if you are looking for a book on spiritual disciplines, this is an amazing book. And I would encourage you to get it and to read it. But here's what he says about getting discouraged about prayer. He says, but when we're tempted to despair, rather than beating ourselves up at our obvious lack of prayer... We remember that God always meets us where we are and slowly moves us toward maturity. And listen, I want you to hear this, church. Jesus always, always meets you right where you are. But he doesn't leave you there because he loves you and cares about you and knows that there's so much more for you. So he doesn't leave you where you are, but he encourages you and moves you towards maturity. You see, Jesus is the one who comes to us and meets us where we are, and he is the one that pushes us gently into a more in-depth relationship with him. 
And if you think this, if you think there's no way that I'm going to pray like those men and women in history, you got to remember something. You have to remember that they weren't always like that, right? Like they started out differently. Their prayer lives may look very much like your prayer life right now when they started. I mean, look at athletes. Look at the famous athletes that we watch on TV, and, and, and they didn't start out that way. Like it took years of practice and working out and, work and training and, and, and learning. And so they didn't start out that way. And neither will you in your prayer life. Listen, remember this. When you get frustrated about your prayer life, just remember that Jesus meets you where you are. He meets you where you are. You don't have to be Mother Teresa. You don't have to be John Wesley. You don't have to be Billy Graham for Jesus to meet you where you are and to begin teaching you and moving you gently towards the maturity when it comes to prayer. You just got to start somewhere. And I think one of the greatest things about the Lord's Prayer, one of the things that gets me excited about it is that these disciples, like these knucklehead disciples, these ordinary guys, just like you and me, they have come to Jesus and they've experienced him praying and they say, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And what does Jesus do? He teaches them. He says, yes. He says, absolutely. Look again at Luke chapter 11, verse 1, and his account of the Lord's prayer. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Remember, I'm encouraging you to find that place where you go every day to pray. For John Wesley, it was the closet in his room, in his house. What would that be for you? Where would that place be? But find a certain place. And it says, when Jesus finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And if you read on in verse two, right away, it says the very next words, it says that Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. When you pray, say this. So not only does Jesus meet us where we are, but Jesus is willing, he is a willing and gracious teacher. Yeah, you wanna learn how to pray? I'm all in, I'll teach you. And here's what I know is that God with flesh on, Jesus came to the earth and he's sitting with these disciples, with these ordinary men. And if you think about it, Jesus has got a lot going on right then. Like he has got so much stuff going on. He came uh, to rescue the world. He came to usher in his kingdom. He's got people to talk to. He's got, he's got a message to declare and proclaim. He's got people to demonstrate it to. He's got a lot going on. He's got uh, the Jews are after him. The Roman government is around and, and he's got so much going on. And when a couple of knucklehead disciples say, hey, would you teach us how to pray? He steps in and he steps up. Like he doesn't think twice about it. He doesn't say, I don't know, let me check my schedule. He doesn't say, I don't know, I got a lot going on. He just begins to teach them how to pray. And I don't know about you, but when I have a lot going on in my life and when I come home from work after a busy day, I just want to sit down in my chair and be still and be quiet and not have anyone bother me. And and inevitably someone will come, maybe Jackson will come and say, hey, you want to come and play some video games with me? And I'll be like, my response is sometimes is like, nah, I'm, I'm too tired right now. Maybe later, right? Like, I don't, I just need, I just want to be still. Maybe, maybe we can do it later. And here's Jesus. He is holding the world together. And the disciples come to him and say, Jesus, I know you got a lot going on. I know there's a lot happening. I know that you've got some things to do. And I know you probably want to take a nap maybe in there. But would you teach us how to pray? 
And Jesus says, he doesn't say, no, I'm too tired. He doesn't say, maybe later. He doesn't say, let me pencil you in for next Wednesday. He says, yes. And when you pray, say, Father. When you pray, say, Father. You see, just like our kids, we have to teach our kids how to do things like brush their teeth and clean their room and make their bed and wash the dishes. Just like we have to teach our kids to do that, someone has to teach us how to pray. And Jesus willingly steps in. And not only does he teach the disciples, but he teaches us. And too often, I think we forget that we need someone to teach us how to pray. Like prayer just doesn't happen naturally, but we need someone to teach us how to pray. We need a guide to help us when it comes to prayer. And Jesus is always there, always willing and always ready. And I think he's always waiting on the edge of the throne and he's just waiting for us to say, Lord, would you teach me how to pray? Like I wanna learn how to pray. Would you teach me how to pray? And if you're not practicing prayer, Maybe you're like, you know what? I'm just not good at it. Like I tried, Pastor Rick, I tried. I've, I've tried to pray. I'm just not good at it. I don't know what to say. I, I, I get distracted. I squirrel, you know, things just, I, I, I fall asleep. And, and maybe you're just like, I, I'm just not good at it. That's okay. It's okay not to be good at it. And, and I think that's a great starting place to confess, Lord, I'm not good at it. But let me just encourage you, don't stay there. Like don't stay in that place where you're just like, I'm just not good at it. Like I quit, I'm, not, I'm done. I'm not good at it. But instead, just tell the Lord, confess to him, say, God, I'm not good at prayer, and what I want to learn, would you teach me how to pray? Because when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, not only does he teach them, but he also anticipates that they're going to practice. Like Jesus like, absolutely, I'll teach you how to pray, but then if we go back to Matthew's account where Jesus is teaching the, the, the huge crowd how to pray, as he wraps up, he also anticipates that they're going to practice what he taught them. And, and so we see this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Right after he, he, he taught them how to pray, he says this. He says, therefore, he's like, therefore, which in the Bible, when you see the word therefore, it means everything I just said, everything that's above what therefore is. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, I just taught you about prayer. I just taught you about marriage. I just taught you about forgiving, uh, loving your enemies. I just taught you about all these things. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, everyone who is in the presence of my voice and puts these things into what? Practice. is like a man who built, a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But, and again, when you see but in the scripture, you should pay attention because something important is happening. He says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. See, there's this incredible promise here, but there's also this incredible warning for us that Jesus anticipates that you and I are going to put into practice his teachings And he promises, he says, listen, if you will put into practice these words of mine, he says, the promise is that our lives will be built on a firm foundation that when the winds blow and when the waters rise and when life gets sideways and our lives are shaken, they're not shaken because they're built 
on a rock. But here's the truth is a lot of us have had our lives crumble around us. And we wonder why. Why is that happening? And, and, and it might be because we haven't practiced what Jesus told us to practice. Like we just didn't practice prayer. We didn't practice the words that Jesus gave us. And we can have the right plan and we can have the right mindset, but if we don't put the work in, if we don't put the practice in, we'll never experience the fullness of prayer. And so we have to pray. And even when we don't know what to say and even when we don't know how to do it, we pray these words, Jesus, teach me how to pray. Jesus, help me to pray. I, I coached high school football for a long time, and uh, I, I wasn't a head coach or an assistant coach. I was just like, I was in charge of the kicker. I'm just going to be real with you. That was my job. I was, I, was, I was told to make sure everybody had butt pads, and I was in charge of the kicker. And, uh, but I coached, and I was with these, these high school coaches, and the coaches always uh, spent the week right? Getting the plan together for the next game. And they, they would put the plan together and they would make the plan and then they would, uh, and then they would um, get the right mindset. So they would encourage the players. That was my other job. I was the head encourager. So I was the encouragement coach and I was in there. I would come in there and after practice and I would encourage them and help them to get the right mindset. And, and, but it didn't matter. If, if they had the right plan and they had the right mindset, but the players didn't show up for practice, they were going to lose, Right? Like they weren't going to win the game because they didn't put the time in and they didn't put the practice in. And you and I, if we don't put the time in into our prayer lives, we will never experience the fullness of God. We will never get the win when it comes to prayer. And I know it's easy to get discouraged. I know it's easy for us to get discouraged when it comes to prayer, but God's word, this book is full of encouragement, y'all. Like it is just chapter after chapter and page after page and verse after verse of encouraging words for you and for me. And I want to encourage you today that you may have started uh, before. Maybe you started praying before and it fell apart and you're like, I'm done. But don't let that be the end. Like pick it up again and start again. Don't quit. Don't be a prayer quitter. Like pick it up and keep going and keep trying and keep praying and keep asking Jesus to teach you how to pray. Like get a journal, get a prayer journal, write your thoughts down. And even if you already bought like 20 prayer journals and they're sitting in a corner and they've never been used, buy another one and start again, practice. And if you don't know where to begin, use Acts. Just write down the left side of your column of your prayer journal, A-C-T-S. And just began to write words of adoration. Remember, we talked about the alphabet of praise. Every, every letter of the alphabet, just start with a praise. Like A is for awesome. B is for beloved. C is for courageous. Uh, you know, D is for dependable. Just whatever words you can use to describe God. You, you, adoration, then confession. Write your confession. Uh, maybe some of y'all don't want to write your confession. That's okay. Write it in your mind and just say, see your mind or whatever. But write your confession out. Then thanksgiving. What is the things that you're thankful for? Where's your heart of gratitude? after realizing who God is, and then your prayer list. Just get a journal. Use the Acts method and find a place. Find a place where you're going to dive in and walk with God in prayer. You see, you'll never succeed if you don't have a plan. So come up with a plan for praying. I'm going to get up at this amount of time, at this time. Like, I'm going to get up at 6 o'clock. I'm putting my alarm on for 6 o'clock. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to spend 30 minutes in prayer. And I've got my journal and I've got my ACTS already written out and I'm going to pray and I'm going to spend time praying. We've got to practice prayer because the promise of that practice is that our lives are built on a rock. And when Jesus, and Jesus says when we build our lives on that rock, 
when everything else around us crashes, our house will stand tall. It'll stand tall. The storms are going to come. Let me just be real with you. When we said yes to Jesus, nowhere in the Bible does it say everything becomes unicorns and rainbows. Nowhere does it say that. But it says when the storms do come, that when you build your life on the center of God's word and on prayer, that your house will stand. So we need to practice prayer. The second thing I want you to know today is, is what happens when we pray. Like what happens when we pray? Here's what, I don't know if you realize this or not, but when you and I pray, we invite the kingdom of God into our lives. We just sang that song, not, you know, the second song was all about that, your kingdom coming here in our lives. And you see, prayer is a discipline that restores. It's a discipline that restores the kingdom of God here on earth. Like y'all, we don't have to wait for heaven for the kingdom, to experience the kingdom of God. That when we love people, and when we're kind, and when we're praying, and when we're worshiping together, and when we're doing these things that Jesus did, guess what? That's the kingdom of God. We are inviting the kingdom of God right here in this place. Because prayer is a discipline that brings restoration. And Jesus instructs us to pray in Matthew 6. He says, what do we, we pray? We pray, your kingdom come. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Yes, Jesus does invite us to pray for our daily needs. He does. But this prayer and most of the Lord's prayer is all about God. And it's about his glory. And it's about his kingdom. And it's about thinking about others rather than ourselves. And so after spending time in prayer, Jesus even said this in Luke. He said, uh, Jesus said this. He said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also because why? Because that's why I'm here. I'm here to usher in the kingdom of God. Jesus came to declare the kingdom of God, and it shouldn't be a surprise to us that when Jesus teaches us to pray, that one of the first things he teaches us to pray is, God, would your kingdom come? Would it be here, present on earth as it is in heaven? Your kingdom come. And Jesus ushers in the kingdom of God, and it all begins in the manger, in this little town called Bethlehem. That's where it began. But it doesn't stop there. He spends his whole life here on earth declaring the kingdom in his preaching, and also he demonstrates it when he heals people, when he calms the storms, when he forgives others. He is demonstrating the kingdom of God. And so every interaction that Jesus had, he's displaying what the kingdom of God is going to look like in eternity. Because we don't have to wait. It can happen right here where the blind see, where the deaf hear, where the dead are raised to life. And not only does Jesus spend his ministry declaring it and demonstrating it, but he also deploys the kingdom of God when he sends the disciples out to declare and demonstrate it to the ends of the earth. And wherever they went, the disciples, ordinary men and women just like you and me, they declared the kingdom of God. And thank you, Jesus, that they did because they chose to be used by God. You and I are here today. Think about that. Twelve ordinary men and many of their followers, because they were willing to say, God, your kingdom come here in my life. Because of their boldness and courage, we are here today. And we have the opportunity to leave a legacy, too, for the generations that are behind us. 
And so the practice of prayer, here's what it does. It turns our eyes to our king and to his kingdom. It takes our eyes away from our tiny, selfish little kingdoms that we've built. And it turns our eyes to the king of kings and the Lord of lords and his kingdom that has no end. It's what Jesus came to do to rescue us from our own selfishness, from our own little kingdoms. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, and Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, church, Jesus is inviting us to join him and pray for his kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven to turn our eyes from our own selves and these little kingdoms that we've built and to say, God, would your kingdom be made here, not my kingdom. You have your way here, not my way. You have your way in my home. You have your way in my work. You have your way with my kids. You have your way with my spouse. You have your way with my neighbor. You have your way with this addiction. Whatever it is, God, would your kingdom come here on earth because I realize that my little selfish tiny kingdom is not going to make it. It's not. The kingdom of God is living life with God under his rule and his reign. It's us submitting our lives to God and and allowing him to get done what he wants to get done here on earth. And we were all born with this desire to worship God, but because of sin, sin has separated and broken that desire. And every one of us, though, we long to be in a place. We won't, maybe won't admit it, but you long to be in a place where God is getting it done. And where God wants to get things done and it happens, where all things have been set right. You see, prayer, uh, praying God's kingdom would come is a confession, it's a declaration, and it's a, and it's a petition. You see, when we say your kingdom come, it's a confession. It's a confession that things aren't right. And we would all agree, if you don't agree with me that things aren't right here, then you haven't been, you know, your eyes are shut. Like, things are not right here, and it's confessing, God, things aren't right here, and I want your kingdom to come. Let your kingdom come, because things are not the way they should be. It's a confession, but it's also a petition. It's us begging for God to have his way in our lives, whether it's because of a struggle in our relationships or because of a breaking down in our body or anything else that we could list. We're like, God, would you have your way in my life? Would your kingdom come in my life? God, would you have your way? Because I know that this is not the way you designed it to be. Your kingdom come, not my will, but your will be done. And it's also a declaration that when we pray your kingdom come, it's declaring that God is God and we are not. And too often we think that God is so big and he is in control And we want his kingdom to come, so we step aside. We step aside from our own little selfish kingdoms that we've made, and we say, you know what? I want your kingdom, God. Your kingdom always trumps mine. You see, the practice of prayer gets us out of the way, and it says, God, your kingdom come. God, your kingdom come with my kids. God, your kingdom come with my marriage. Your kingdom come with my relationships. Your kingdom come with my job and my finances. The list goes on and on. Your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And not only are we asking for God to have his way in our lives, but, we, uh, but there are people who are praying the very same thing. 
There are people who are praying for miracles in their lives, and they are praying for God to answer their prayers. There are hurting people out there, and, and they're in circumstances of great pain, and, and, and they're being overlooked, and they are hungry, and they are not being fed, and they are praying they're praying the same thing. God, would your kingdom come here in my life? God, uh, and God is going to use you to be a part of his kingdom coming in their lives if you will just be willing to be open to what God has for you. If we will get in the habit of praying, God, your kingdom come in my life, we become an answer to someone else's prayer. When someone's hungry, we feed them out of kindness because it's the kingdom of God. When we see someone hurting, we walk up to them and show them sympathy and empathy and compassion. And because we're doing that, the kingdom of God has come because when we allow God, when we open our hearts to who God is and what he wants for our lives, we become an answer to someone else's prayer. And that's what the kingdom of God looks like as it bears out in our own lives. Prayer is not only a discipline that restores, but it is also a practice that transforms. You want your life transformed, it begins with prayer because prayer transforms us and prayer transforms others. It says, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Richard Foster in the same book, he says this about prayer. He says, to pray is to change. To pray is to change, that prayer is the central avenue or the central way that God uses. It's the central way that God, that God uses to transform us. That when we pray, that, we, that, that God aligns our will with his will when we submit to him in prayer. You see, the practice of prayer transforms us by aligning our will to God's will. Doesn't Isaiah say this because we don't see things right? And Isaiah says our ways are not his ways. And God knows what's best for us better than we do. And so when we pray, we begin to align our lives with his will. That's what I was talking about. When we begin with adoration, uh, something happens as we move through confession and transformation or thanksgiving that our prayers are transformed and our will becomes aligned with who God is and what he wants for our lives. You see, when our will is aligned with God's will, we will never find more joy, peace, hope, and satisfaction in our lives. And you know it's true. Like you know when we've tried to do it on our own way, it never works quite out the way we wanted to. But God promises us. He says when you walk with him and when we practice and when we align our will with his through prayer, that there's joy and there's peace and there's satisfaction that knows no end. You see, church, I want you to hear this, that prayer is not a happy accident. We don't just haphazardly throw up words and say, God, please, crossing our fingers, crossing our toes, please answer my prayers. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is a discipline. Prayer is a practice. It's learned and it's practiced and it brings restoration to the kingdom of God and it and as it bears in our lives, it transforms us and it transforms the people around us. So let me just ask you, are you praying? Are you praying? And if you don't know what to say, just ask, Lord, teach me to pray so that your kingdom might be restored here on earth and so that my life and the lives of people around me might be transformed. 
That's what prayer does. So this morning, I just want us to practice it. I just want you and I to practice prayer. And, and I just want us to take a moment and, and, and create a space right here. This is our certain place where we would just spend a bit of time in prayer. I'm not going to tell you how long. I just want you to spend some time in prayer. So I just want to invite you, if you just hold your hands out like this, right where you're at. There's nothing magical about this. It's just a posture of prayer. It's just saying, God, I'm open. I'm open to your kingdom coming in my life. I just want you to spend some time praying. Maybe you just want to spend some time in adoration. Maybe you need to confess. Maybe you spend some time just saying thank you. Whatever it is, just spend a moment practicing prayer right here, right now. You pray, you go right now. Let's sing.